0: Welcome, everybody, to another episode of My Independence Report. This is, I have to say, this is a really good one that we're going to have for you today. Dr. Alan uh, Leica is with us today, and he's the author of a book. And the name of that book is... The Secrets of Living a Fantastic Life. And, and, you know, it's easy for you to say you are a doctor. You've, you've been in, in practice for a long time. You've got a nice family. You've got everything going for you. How could you possibly know what it's like to lead a fantastic life if you haven't? Because you've always had that. How do you know? You know, back in
1: 2003, I was walking in my life my, with my dear wife and my youngest daughter in Disneyland, of all places. And my wife turned to me and said, what's wrong with you, hun? You know, Kevin, it was funny because for once in my life, I hadn't said anything wrong. I hadn't done anything wrong. I hadn't even thunk anything wrong. But she persisted. What's wrong with you? I said, dear, I don't know what you're talking about. She said, listen to your foot. I said, dear, that's a funny thing to state. She said, well, listen to it. Well, my right foot had suddenly and mysteriously developed a foot drop, you know, out of the blue. And she said, did you have a stroke? I said, dear, you're a doctor. I'm a doctor. This is not how strokes present. If I had a stroke, I'd be laying on the pavement. Well, she said the ultimatum. She said, when we get back, you better get this checked out. Kevin, when your spouse tells you to get something checked out, what do you do?
0: I ignore them, generally speaking. but (laughs) but, But but. I know that you're supposed to, you know, us us men, well, you know, you're a doctor. Men have a problem with that. but Yes,
1: but when your wife gives you the ultimate ultimatum, I don't think you ignore it anymore. It's
0: it's one of
1: those things you do. So when I got back, I saw dozens of doctors. They did brain scans. They did CAT scans. They did MRIs. They did scan scans. You know what they showed at the end of the day, Kevin? Nada? Nothing? Absolutely nothing. And you know when doctors see nothing, you know what they do? Big more guess. tests. They do more tests, of course. They don't <laughs> want to be shown wrong. So I had tests that weren't even invented back then in 2003. I had tests and tests and tests. And so finally, they sent me to a world class neurologist, you know, the brain guy, the guy that's supposed to have all the answers. I walked in and I said, Hi. He said, Hi, you better be sitting down when I tell you this. I said, "Why? I've got a dropped right foot." He said, "No, you don't. You have ALS, Lou Gehrig's disease. Get your affairs in order. In six months, you're going to be dead."
0: Wow! And, well, when 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 the, when you were sitting there, I assume you were sitting there alone. you weren't with your lovely wife or no? Your-
1: I was there alone, and so I asked him, "Is there a way to prove this diagnosis?" He said, "Of course, an autopsy." <laughs> Oh, good. That's a good time. I um, yeah, said, so I shot back. I'm not going to die to prove you wrong. So, you know, when you go through something like, Kevin, you, you go through a phase that Elizabeth Kubler Ross described in her book on death and dying. You go through the phases. You go through anger. You know, Kevin, have you been angry at the world? Just mad as hell that you could bite the head off nails. You could drive your fingers through the door. You know, you know what I'm talking about. Well, I had that anger. I was angry at the world. How dare this happen to me? I was at the prime of my life. I was doing great things. And yet I had six months to live. Then you go through bargaining. Oh, God, please don't let this happen. I'll do anything if you don't let this happen. You go through denial. There's nothing wrong. I can do anything. I denials a river in Egypt. I'm not on that river in Egypt. you know, I, I can do anything. So I worked. I worked 12, 14 hours a day. I worked 16 hours a day. and you know, I decided then you know there is something wrong. there's something wrong with my foot. And that's when you go through the big D, the big dark zone, the depression where nothing matters. You can lie in bed all day why not? Nothing's going to be right anyhow. You're dead in six months. You've been given the ultimatum, you know, and that's the bad state to be in when you're everything's black, everything's nasty. So I've been there, Kevin. I've seen anger. I've seen bargaining. I've seen denial. I've seen depression. So my wife, my life has not always been that rosy. It has not always been right. But you know, that's when you start looking for the answers, Kevin. And you start looking deep down, deep inside. And back in 2003, something new was invented. You might have heard of it. It's called the internet. You ever
0: hear of that? I did. I have, as a matter of fact.
1: Oh, good, good. They do. around the same page, at least. You know what happens when you when you go on the internet? In 2021, you have Dr. Google that you just put in. What do I have? And Dr. Google comes up with a list of things that could come up. Yeah. Well, In 2003, we didn't have that. We had dial-on connections where your phone got in a cradle and talked to another phone. It went, -ah, -ah, -ah," for something like 15 minutes before it connected. And finally, you got in touch with some other phone. But then you had to speak a language called DOS or some other primitive language because computers had no memory back then, you know. My computer right here on my phone has more memory than the entire computers did back then. So, you know, we were in a memory situation. So I looked up thousands of sites. And you know the problem with the internet is this, Kevin. There's some great sites out there, but there's also a lot of garbage cans. And you can't tell the garbage cans from the great sites. They all look the same. They all smell the same. And they all do the same. But the problem is you don't have the knowledge to do that. Well, I found the story of a doctor by the name of David Martz, M-A-T-Z. And I say Z because I'm a Canadian. You guys say Z. So uh, I think you said Z. There he was. He was in Colorado Springs, Colorado. So I phoned every hospital in Colorado Springs, Colorado, and I got in touch with David. And David said, you know, can you come down and see me? He said, when? I, th- I said, when? He said, right now. I said, David, I can't. It's Thanksgiving Day in Canada. My wife's having 50 people over. Well, David wasn't going to let me off that easy. He said, aren't there any planes in Canada? <laughs> <laughs> so I went to my wife and I apologized. I said, dear, I have to be away for this Thanksgiving. She said, where are you going this time? You always seem to be away educating people and teaching people. I said, well, this time I'm going for me. I'm going to Colorado Springs, Colorado, where a doctor claims he has some answers for my problem." She said, well, let me help you pack your bags. I'll drive you to the airport. I'll let you. I'll help you get there. 50 people. That's nothing. I could take care of that all by myself. I said, okay, dear. So I got on a plane. I got on a plane from Edmonton to Denver, Kevin. It was a great flight. Wonderful two and a half hour flight. And then I get on this really rinky dink plane from Denver to Colorado Springs. It's only only a 15-minute flight, but it's the flight from hell. For every up, there's an equal and opposite down. For every up, there's another equal and opposite down. It's like you're on a wild mouse ride the entire flight, and it's like the drop of doom at Disneyland over over and over and over and over again. You ever been on that flight?
0: Oh yeah, they're very small. There's one. There's one flight attendant, and that's just to hold you down. That's uh, right, and
1: prevent you from screaming and disturbing the other customers. Exactly. You know, it's a terrible
0: all, flight. All four or five of them, because there aren't very many on the plane.
1: No, it's terrible. But you know, I crawled off that plane. And you know, a miracle happened. There was David on the tarmac to meet me. He was a well-known doctor. He was visiting, a well-known doctor was visiting him. There was no terrorists here. He drove his his truck right onto the this was before the shenanigans of 9-11 started taking over and so on. Small airports, you could still do that thing. Now you can't. But back then. So we talked and we talked for hours. And David said some magic words. He said, Dr. like I think history is repeating itself. He said, I went through the same thing you did, but I was on my deathbed, and a doctor from Texas came up to see me, and he said, to say goodbye to me. I said, he told me I didn't have ALS, Lou Gehrig's disease. He said, I have chronic Lyme's disease, which is the bite of a tick, and it mimics ALS. It looks just like it. You can't tell it on any neurological test or anything like that. And he said, that doctor started me on antibiotics, and I'm going to do the same for you. And that's why I'm alive and thriving 17 years later, Kevin, to this day.
0: You know, it's interesting because uh, I my family went through uh, the five stages of grief, and I highly recommend the book. Uh, Elizabeth Cooper Ross has done an extraordinary thing for humanity by putting that book out there because my brother had stage four lung cancer and it was it was one of those things where he didn't have it one day and the next day he did and then they determined it had metastasized and then no god's going to save me and I'm going to pray and I'm going to work my way out of it and, and he went through all five stages until the day he died when he accepted his fate and no. uh, Well, The
1: good good thing is I didn't have to accept my faith. I knew there was something else. And and I encourage people that if you're in a terminal or chronic situation, make sure (laughs) the diagnosis is correct. When it's a stage four lung cancer that's metastasized, it's fairly self-evident. But in many other areas, there's a gray zone. And doctors admit there's a gray zone. Doctors don't always have all the answers they don't always know exactly what it is. They have something called the differential diagnosis, where that means the top five guesses that you have to tell what's wrong. And, you know, in some cases, it's self-evident. In many cases, it's not. In my case, it was not evident. Back in 2003, people had not heard of chronic Lyme's disease. And I'll bet you a dozen of donuts any time, Kevin, that if you and I walked into a room and talked to a group of doctors, half of them will say, Chronic Lyme's disease doesn't even exist. So, you know, it's one of those
0: diagnoses that's a
1: very hairy, scary diagnosis for a lot of
0: people. Absolutely. Now, but I got to ask you, because as you're sitting there and he's saying, you know, and you're a doctor, you more than most of us understand what what happens when you have uh, Lou Gehrig's disease, the slow decline, the lack of muscle movement, and uh, eventually not being able to do anything with your body. That must didn't that at that moment just scare the hell out of you. You know, it's a scary way to go. I mean, can you picture
1: being entombed in your body and not being able to do anything? And all of a sudden, this, this thing is climbing at you, eating at you until it hits your respiratory center. And therefore, you can't live anymore. You know, that's a scary way to go. It's like one of the worst diagnoses that you could ever have.
0: Oh, I know. And, and, and so when you went home to your wife and she said, how was the doctor, dear? <laughs> uh, did you tell her or did you say, oh, he's full of shit? Excuse the expression.
1: Well, you know, I was angry, Kevin. I said, this doctor doesn't know his A from a hole in the ground. You know, I said, he just doesn't got it. And I said, what do you think I have? And she said, you know, dear, I have no idea. But I'll tell you one thing. I, You don't have chronic, you don't have ALS. You don't have Lou Gehrig's disease. That's not, not your diagnosis. You don't have to worry about that. I said, what do you have? She said, figure it out. You're smart. That's where I turned to the internet. The, the, the internet was there to help me, thank goodness. As I said, I was able to differentiate the Gardner Ridge Cans from the books that day.
0: Now, you have a co-author of this Yes,
1: yes and let me tell you how I met the co-author. That's what I was going to ask you. When I started giving back, I sponsored an event called Women of Distinction. And the Women of Distinction, we honor women in our society. And we were honoring women of Edmonton. And, you know, even to this day, Kevin, we don't honor women enough for what we do. Sure, we have Mother's Day. Sure, we have gifts at Christmas. But really, women do a lot for society that we don't do. So this event was to honor the women of Edmonton. And a lady applied for one of the awards called the Turning Point Award. She had a story similar to mine, but yet much different. She uh, was kidnapped, she was stabbed and she was left for dead when she was a university student at the University of Calgary. You see, this beautiful lady had decided to leave modeling. She was a runway model in New York and decided to take up accounting as her profession. So she went to the University of Calgary to study it there and she met a psychopath who befriended her and and he befriended her. He was jealous, he was in a stage of rage And he kidnapped her. He stabbed her and left her for dead. That's horrible. Well, Harriet then came to me and said, you know, can i buy you lunch doctor like and you know i like lunch so she bought me lunch and she said you know i would love to write a book with you and she wrote this book with me called the secrets to living a fantastic life it's a very interesting book because if you read it you'll see there's a dialogue between her and i throughout the entire book it's like i'd start a sentence and she'd finish it off and there's also stories just like when we went to write this book we went to jack canfield's house do you know who jack canfield is
0: of course the uh uh the soup for the soul guy
1: yes he wrote uh the chicken soup for the soul and he told us you know every story has to begin every chapter has to begin with a story so we wrote 13 chapters and we called them golden pearls do you know what forms a pearl kevin
0: Yes, incredible pressure in, and also it's the it's the uh, oyster, and it's a, like a grain of sand, and it's an irritant for the oyster. And in, in order for the oyster to get rid of the irritant, it has to cover it with the substance, and it gets very hard. I Boy, hope. you must have read my book.
1: That's the first introduction to the book. Geez, I'm so glad you did, because that's what it's all about. A pearl, a golden pearl actually exists and they exist in nature. They exist in the South Pacific and in the Indonesian area. And there's are specific pearls there that get a little grain of sand in them. And that sand irritates the oyster. The oyster walls it off with this beautiful material called luster. And that luster forms this golden pearl. Now a single solitary pearl costs upwards of $10,000. That's how exquisite they are. Now. Harry and I realized that these golden pearls are actually found inside of you. And each one of them comes to their forefront and becomes an amazing thing.
0: Kevin, you have golden pearls inside of you too. I know. I know. I'm going to make a crude remark, but I'm not going to, but uh, I do have to, I do have to ask you though, because you guys got together, you wrote this book. You also had a life changing decision That uh, Because you had a successful practice, you were doing that, and you decided that you had something better to do with your life. You know,
1: in my life, I treated a lot of people, and I treated a lot of people who had scars. I treated people that wanted to look better. I treated people with a lot of deformities. But, you know, Kevin, I realized um, that there's something even more crippling than scars, and that's the false beliefs you carry inside of you. Those false beliefs are what carry you and determine whether you're going to be successful or not. So I decided to work on another element of the human existence, and that's to help people not only look better, but also become better, to let those things aside themselves. In fact, um, there's a, a book called psycho that was written by Maxwell Maltz, who wrote on the topic of psychocybernetics, which basically is helping people heal from the inside out. And the co-author of uh, Chicken Soup for the Soul, Mike, uh, Dr. Mark Victor Hansen said, yes. Dr. Leica, you are truly the new incarnation of Maxwell Maltz. You are actually working on people's scars from the inside and helping them get better. He said, you should use that when you talk to people because they'll recognize that that's what you're doing. And, yes, that's what I'm doing every day, trying to help people get to a new plane, a new part of living.
0: That, that must have been a kind of a shock to your wife when you came over and said, guess what, honey? <laughs> I'm going to become a motivational speaker, and I'm going to let the practice go. It's like, oh. Well, you know, I started to
1: become a motivational speaker, and you know what happened right after that was something called – Uh, COVID-19 hit the planet and all the stages, uh, $800 billion industry vanished overnight. So the way that I speak to people is on podcasts. I speak through people on my own podcast. I speak through people on the medium of the internet. And, you know, even though this this COVID has affected a lot of people badly, it's giving us tools that we now communicate around the world in seconds. We can communicate. You're sitting there in Seattle. I'm sitting here in Edmonton. And yet we're communicating with people from around the world on a topic we both love, how to make people become better and be better.
0: It is phenomenal that what is happening is and yes covid is very bad and a lot of people have died and, and but it's forcing us to make changes that that might not other otherwise have come and this is one of those is that we can have a dialogue we can put on a professional looking show and and that is well can be well received and it's just amazing that 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 can all that can all happen now i applaud you for what you're doing because it's 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 so important and so vital. Tell me about your your co uh, co writer. Is she is she doing the same things as you, or is she? She I- is,
1: but she's started to work up with more with children. You know, when she got through her crisis, so to speak, uh, a young lady by the name of Amber told her, "You need to help young people become a better person." So she has her old own, her own group called EmpoweredMe.ca. dot ca. And I'd encourage everybody to go to that site and learn from Harriet as well, just like I have. EmpoweredMe.ca. You can learn a lot from her.
0: It's it's so it's so needed. It's so vital, and I'm so glad I'm so glad that you've taken the time to be here. By the way, uh, I, I thought I had it. Let me let me double check, and um, there we go. We're going to do this. I you now across the bottom of your screen is. Um, a for a free book, go to that site which is secretbooksnow.site.com, slash home and uh, he will send you a free book. Um, and uh, I think that now, why are you going to send him a free book? By the way,
1: well, you know, I, I'm I'm giving him a digital copy of the book, and a lot of people love digital copies and read it that way. If they don't, they can get a very inexpensive price copy by just ordering it, the free copy as well. So. What's more important to me is get the knowledge of this book out to the world. I think everybody needs the 13 golden pearls. And in 2021, they need that more than ever. They need to heal from the lost year that they've had. I think they need to grow. I think they need, you know, the world went through a phase as well of anger. What do you think this thing in Washington was? What do you think all this stuff going on of these racial uh, protests and so on? That's anger. And it's not only coming from just being angry, it's part of what COVID did to people. People became, they went through a stage of bargaining. They went through a phase of depression. They went through a phase of denial. How many people would not wear masks? How many people would not believe the science out there? I mean, that that is, I'm sad to hear that. I mean, uh, Tony Fauci did his best to tell people you must wear masks. You must, distance. You must treat this as a real thing. And 500,000 people, 500,000 Americans later have died because of all this going on. And, you know, I, I, I read the news too, and there's two states that now have said, you don't need to wear masks anymore. You don't need to social distance anymore. Well, I'm sorry to say, there are new variants of the virus that are out there that still require us to behave in a civil fashion. And, uh, you know, I'm not here to preach to anybody. I'm here to help people. And I'd encourage people to follow the scientific knowledge, follow and grow, learn, Uh, read a good book. My book's a good book, and I would love everybody to read it and uh, share it with your friends, for goodness sake. That's what this is all about. You can get it at secretsbook.now.site backslash home, and you can get it absolutely free.
0: It's amazing to me that we have got people that live in our country now, first well, first of all, you're in Canada, so you're, you're, you're our enlightened brothers and sisters to the north, and you must think that our excuse the expression again, but our shit show down here is is has got to be fun for you guys to watch.
1: Well, we call it The Excited States for obvious reasons. (laughs) And, 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 you know, it it is exciting to watch. It has been a year of of a lot of learning, a lot of knowing, you know. And if we think that we're out of the woods when this virus goes away, you know, every year you need to get a vaccine for the flu virus. Right, Kevin? Every year you need to do this. And viruses are smart. They change. They they don't want to be wiped off the face of the earth, so they change, and they try to become something else. All these strains are the virus of change, and unfortunately, that's what goes on with viruses. And I suspect that as we cure this virus, there's going to be another viral storm. You know, we get a pandemic every hundred years. We've been lucky that this actually was a 100 years especially with these means of mass transportation we have these ways of communicating a person could be in brazil now and come home within 24 hours and spread another strange of a strain of virus a person could be in london and spread their virus around and that's what's happening now so uh, you know i don't want to see the world locked down forever i don't want people having to stay home forever i'm a realism but you know treat people well and remember at the end of the day what you need kindness i think kindness is very real
0: it's not only very real it's it's important because you have to understand that we are and from my frame of reference we're all one we're all together we're all in this together we all need to help each other and which is why i'm so glad that you came on to the program because you're trying really hard to help people help themselves and uh, some people are not going to hear of it. People in Texas, people in Texas are not all that excited about about the living life just a little bit more safe and stuff because they're 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 the land of the free and they can do whatever the hell they want, even at the expense of their mothers and fathers and their aunts and their uncles. And their well, ancestors. sadly, my father in law uh,
1: father in law contracted the virus on New Year's Eve and five days later he was dead. You know, that, that's how virulent these new strains are and how dangerous they are. So please, please, I'm talking from a human being, not as a doctor. I'm saying, please, protect your family, protect your, the ones you love, and pre- protect everybody at the same time. Wearing a mask is not a sign of cowardice. It is a sign of generosity. It is a sign of doing something right for people. To help them through this very difficult time that we're facing
0: absolutely let's talk about your book some more because i want to know there are 13 pearls in it can you can you sh- give me a peek of the blanket and to tell me, sure. a- well, let me let me go
1: to one and i'm going to go to one of my favorite one and it's Please. laughter you know, scientists have studied laughter, Kevin. And laughter is one of the most important ones that we have. And you know, there was a guy by the name of Kevin Wiseman that actually found the world's funniest joke. Would you like to hear the <laughs> world's funniest joke?
0: Yes, I would like to hear the world's joke. What
1: funniest. he did is he rated all jokes and got people to rate them. And they rated thousands and thousands and thousands of jokes. And here's the number one joke without much ado. Let's start. There were two hunters. They were out in the woods. And one dropped down. He was like he was dead. He couldn't wake up. His buddy shook him. Buddy, buddy, wake up, wake up, wake up. He says, he's still lying there. He's not moving. So he picks up his cell phone and he phones 911. Uh, operator, 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 please help me. My friend has dropped down. I'm afraid he's dead. Oh, well, um, could you do something for me, sir? Could you please first make sure he's dead? Well, he drops down the phone. All of a sudden, there's a loud click. And a bang. I said, yes, he's dead. What do I do now? He shot the gun out of Kevin. (laughs) That is either the world's funniest joke or it's the world's worst joke, depending on how you look at it. But, Kevin, have you ever watched Abbott and Costello? Have you ever watched slapstick humor? And did you laugh? Do Do you know who's on first? yes who's on second and what's on third
0: <laughs> and i don't know it's on short or something it, it, Yeah, that's no. right
1: but but the point is we laugh at, at things that are improbable you know a person slips on a banana peel and you laugh not because they're going to get hurt because it's funny why didn't they walk around the banana peel why didn't they not you know it's the improbabilities in life that gives us the choice or laughter and if i have my chance kevin I would sooner laugh than cry on any given day.
0: Oh, well, laughter is, doesn't, now there's there's dopamine and there's all, all sorts of reasons why laughter, you know, the chemicals that are released in your body. But hell, it just makes you feel good. Absolutely. And it makes you, there's no way to get your mind
1: and body together in sync without a good laugh. It's one of the surest, simplest ways to do it. And do you know that 91% of people in the establishment, in bosses in the situation, think a sense of humor is important for people to advance? So if you want to advance in your job, develop a sense of humor. Don't sweat the small stuff. And it's all small stuff.
0: You know that that is that is so true, and i've I've been in I've been in management before, and and I've had a pretty wide ranging uh, uh, career. and And people that don't have a sense of humor really are no fun to be around.
1: Absolutely, I think uh, it's very important to have a sense of humor because without a sense of humor, you cannot do anything. I think a sense of humor is really what helps to get through your day. I mean. You could A person spills a cup of coffee on the ground. Well, what do you do? Well, you wipe it up, of course. But laughing at it and helping that person do that sure makes it an easier task than it is to cry about it.
0: Let me tell you a story real quick about about that. I, I one of the careers I've had I've been a, a city bus driver, and I was, I was in in the King County area of, of of Washington. And so it was a big bus, you know, like a sixty foot bus. And and one night this gentleman gets on the bus and he's not feeling well, and I'm driving down the road and he throws up uh all over the seats and and stuff in in a corner of the bus. And uh, fortunately, because of the way it works. I don't have to clean it up. We have supervisors. And my boss has to come clean up the, the, the puke that's on the bus. And it was a particularly nasty mess. And so he gets on the bus. And, and this is this is how a sense of humor works for you. He gets on the bus. He works to clean it up. And have, you, have you ever been so disgusted with something that you start to throw up when you're trying, trying to pick up somebody else's?
1: I'm and, sure that's what the boss did right then. And then he, you probably threw up, too, on top of it all.
0: No, I was standing far enough away, but he started to throw up, and he said, oh, man, I threw up, too, but at least mine tasted like coffee. So it, <laughs> he, he had the joke to be able to say and to laugh at himself even though it was a thoroughly disgusting situation and that's that's how we get through life isn't it i think that's
1: how we get through it i think that's how we get to do it you know one night one evening uh, many years ago i shared watching mr bean as a new year show on tv and it was one of the funniest shows i've ever seen all slapstick humor all all little little skewer what you know mr bean goes and decides to move his piano so what does he do he straps his piano to the top of his mini car and what happens to the car it tips over (laughs) you know those are the things that make you laugh Abbott and Costello. there's a great show on tv about that Uh, and, and there's a great great many of these reruns actually still live on and on and on i yes. encourage people to look them up uh like i, I love lucy when she was working in the chocolate factory you know what working in a chocolate factory she had to put chocolates in a box while well, the assembly line kept getting faster and faster and faster as she started putting the chocolates in her bra she started putting them in her pockets. she started putting, and you know it's just a funny funny show That's what laughter helps you do. It helps you to see the reality not as being tainted, not as being something that's awful, but something that's humorous. Well,
0: you know, and part of that is, too, is that what we tend to laugh at are everyday situations that we all find ourselves in, that we have trouble laughing at at the time, but but they are inherently funny, uh, just because we need to understand that nothing is we're not going to get out of this alive anyway. So you might as well, but it's, it's the funny things that the day-to-day funny things that, that
1: are, well, let me tell you a funny story and it wasn't funny at the time. I was a young intern at the hospital and unfortunately a family was coming in that I had to tell they were going to, that their loved one was going to die. So uh, the front desk calls me and says, okay, it's the Smith family here. And I, I clarified this. This is the Smith family. The one person that I have to tell that they're, loved one's going to die and they said yes they're here and so i go and i introduce myself i'm dr Leica. i have something very sad to say that your loved one is not going to make it very long i'm glad you're to say that and they looked at me and they said oh really i said yes and i said are you the smith family they said no we're not we're the olson family And they burst out laughing you know, thank goodness they did. Because they said, I am so sorry you have to tell the Smith family that same speech. And and it, it was hilarious because the, the secretary who all thought this was the Smith family told this was the Olson family. You know, oh, my goodness. But, again, if we didn't laugh at that situation, it would have not been very pretty.
0: What do you do? being in that i having never been in that situation um what what is it like having to tell somebody that uh their relative is 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 very you
1: know, there, there's a good way and a bad way to do it you know when a person is coming to the end of the life it usually is that they've been suffering for a very very long time you know your your brother or your brother-in-law who had stage four cancer unfortunately that's not a very pretty death because it it goes to the bones it causes a lot of pain it causes a lot of agony and and the good news is that this person is going to move on to a life that's better than this so when you tell the person if you frame it properly it's actually a good situation because they get to spend the last days or moments with that person and that person now can go to a better existence and not be suffering anymore and that's usually what death is in a situation like that
0: and most of the time now have have you worked with death and dying a great deal or just a little bit or, you know
1: I, I before I I became a dermatologist and as a dermatologist I dealt a lot with melanoma I dealt a lot with skin yeah. cancer so yes I did deal with a lot of, of very ugly things fortunately most of the skin cancers at this phase are now curable but they weren't always curable and some cancers can be horrendous situations the good news is we have technology that helps with a lot of that now.
0: Did you find in 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 your work that um, there were times when uh, someone would be on their deathbed but didn't feel, but but were having visions of of the afterlife, or were talking to people of the afterlife, or or were having a a a moment in time where they accepted it and they were looked ended up even looking forward to it
1: yes in fact most people do you know when they've been suffering a lot my father-in-law who died at christmas you know he lost his wife several years ago and so for him it was a good thing he really wanted not to be on this planet anymore and he felt that this this awful COVID virus was something that was taking him to his loved ones so the answer is i think people when they get to the end do not always view it in the same way that we do when we fight it to the nasty, like I did, and fought it off. And, you know, 17 years later, I'm still living because of the good intentions of people around me.
0: Absolutely. Well, and the good intentions and also your tenacity. You know,
1: tenacity is a very important word, and I'd like to go into that a little bit. In fact, I'm going to read a little bit from my book about tenacity. Uh, You know, that's covered in Chapter 10, Golden Pearl Number 10. And tenacity is one of the most important ones. And I'm going to read you the story of a person who you might well know, and you'll guess who it is. Uh, He was a champion. He was born in uh, 1816. His family was forced out of their home. He had to work to support them. In 1818, his mother died. In 1831, he failed in business. In 1832, he ran for state legislature and lost. In 1833, he also lost his job. He wanted to go to law school, but he couldn't afford it. He borrowed some money in 1833, but within a year, he was bankrupt. He spent the next 17 years of his life paying off his debt. In 1834, he ran for the state legislature again. He won. He was engaged to be married. His sweetheart died, and he was heartbroken. In 1836, he had a nervous breakdown and spent six months in bed. He sought to become a Speaker of the Legislature in 1838 and was defeated. In 1840, he wanted to become an elector. He was defeated. In 1843, he ran for Congress. He lost. In 1846, he ran for Congress again. This time, he won. He went and did a good job, but when he re-ran in 1848, he was defeated. Oh, God. In 1849, he sought the job of a land officer in his home state and was rejected. In 1854, he ran for Senate of the United States and lost. In 1856, he sought to be vice president at his party's national convention. He got less than 100 votes. <laughs> In 1858, he ran for the Senate again, and he lost. Finally, (laughs) finally, in 1860, he was elected president of the United States.
0: That's Abraham Lincoln. You've got
1: it. But look at the amount of of tenacity he had to face to get there. Uh, Tenacity is an amazing thing. It's persistence with an attitude, as Harriet Kinka would say. Persistent with an attitude is tenacity.
0: You know, it's I I have to use that as an example from now on because I didn't realize that he'd had so many horrific losses. It's like at, remember Richard Nixon at one point. Well, you're not going to have Richard Nixon to kick around anymore after when he lost. Well, you know, he came back and he became president. Well, uh, uh, um, Abraham Lincoln the same thing. Although he lost, he, he lost a ton, but. What, how, how, many, how many other people would have stuck up to it and just kept on going? Not very many, not very you know. many. It's hard to do.
1: It is hard to do, but that's what tenacity is all about. And in my book here, I think it's in the third chapter, I share the story of inspiration. And in that story, I tell the story of my little daughter, Stephanie, who was learning to tell her tire her shoelaces and she'd fail time and time, and time again. But she said, I think I can, I think I can, I think I can, I think I can. And when she did, she said, I thought I could, I thought I could, I thought I could. You know, that's what you've got to do in a situation like that. You've got to keep on doing it and keep on doing it till you get good at it and keep on trying again and again and again. But don't try the same thing. Try something different each time. But each time, these you either get defeated by it or... You're like uh, Thomas Edison making the light bulb. You found another way not to make a light bulb. That's the way you should pre- perceive this. And how many times did he attempt to make a light bulb and failed? And finally, he got to the point that he found a way to make a light bulb.
0: It's 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 incredible if you if you believe in yourself and you're willing. If 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 what you know now now. Let's, let's talk about intuition a little bit, I, I, and I agree with you 100% because there's a point in time where I don't know if you're standing in the shower, if you're sleeping in the middle of the night, or you're driving and you're you're, you're just kind of uh, uh, daydreaming, and you'll get an inspirational, you'll get an inspired thought. You'll get something that says, this is what you should be doing. And uh, it's people that don't ignore those inspired thoughts it's it's like you it would have been very easy for you to say ah i got a great practice i got a good thing i'm just going to do what i'm doing
1: well let me tell you a story about my book when we were writing it as i got back from speaking at harvard university and i was going to go to the university to do some work and so i put my briefcase behind my car and in my briefcase was my computer which had the hard drive with all the notes from my book in it well you know the phone rang i went inside answered the phone and i forgot to put the briefcase in my car and i drove over it destroyed the entire manuscript that we had been working on for six years (laughs) okay so so i i wrote harriet harriet do you have a recent copy of what we've been working on she said of course i said could you send it to me please and then I started to ask her, do you remember that quote that we said there? Could you share it with me again? Do you remember that quote we shared with? And Harriet said, you know, there's something funny going on. I yes, there is something funny. She said, I ran over her book with all the notes that I just had finished writing on our trip back from Boston. And she said, she laughed. She said, guess what? Good thing I kept a copy of it. You know, the good news in 2020 and 2021 is we have the cloud, and the cloud saves things almost automatically. So at least 98% of that book was reproducible. But, you know, there's one good thing I've learned, Kevin, is there's no good writing. There's only good rewriting and good rewriting. So this gave us a chance to re-review it. You know, there's a story of of Walt Disney when he was making the Pirates of the Caribbean ride at Disneyland. He went to some of the staff and said, you know, there's something wrong. There's something wrong. And one of the waitresses said, there's no crickets. You don't have crickets when you're going through the Pirates of the Caribbean ride. There's no darkness. So he went and remade the ride. The world was waiting for this million-dollar ride that he had spent 10 years making, And he stopped right then and there. And this gave Harriet and I a chance to rewrite the book. And, you know, our book became a bestseller in the pandemic of 2020. But not only a bestseller, a number one bestseller. So we're very happy to share it with so many others.
0: I didn't know that it was a number one bestseller. I'm i I'm remiss. I apologize, sir, because you are you are the, uh, now okay. So let's start again. Okay, uh, I'd like to introduce today the the number one best selling author, Alan Leica. He is with us today. I'm so excited. Uh, <laughs> number one best selling author. That is that, that that is incredible. And the the cool thing is is that what you're doing with the book as you're helping people.
1: You know, I would love everybody to pick up a book and give a copy of this to everybody on the planet. At the end of the day, I would love to share this with as many people as we possibly can, because in there are kernels of wisdom. They're not wisdoms that I invented. There's wisdoms that I've discovered, wisdom that is found in every one of you. So I think everybody should take the time and learn from it and learn a little bit more.
0: How do you help people who are in a place where they don't feel they can get out of the depression, the negativity, the fear that they are living their lives with?
1: You know, I think the first thing they have to do is realize they're in that state. They have to realize they're in that home. And if they don't, their loved ones have to. And, you know, in this day and age, Kevin, there is help everywhere. There's helplines. There's places to go to. People can go to my website, DrAllenLyka.com. There's resources there for people to draw on. I make a podcast every week. It's on YouTube. It's how it's called How to Live a Fantastic Life. There's resources there. They can reach out to me. They can go to Dr. Leica, Dr. and find me. Uh, you know, they can email my secretary, Tammy at Leica.ca, and find us. So the answer is there's help. There's help in your own community. There's help everywhere. But first you got to realize that there is hope for you. And just taking a baby step is what's necessary. I think people have to take baby steps. It's not swallowing the whole watermelon, taking a little bite of it at a time.
0: Exactly. So you're
1: doing podcasting. What's podcasting? You know, podcasting is one of the most amazing things on the planet because it gets the message out to so many people so quickly in such a way. Kevin, that's what you do. It's a, it's a what I call a, a, a labor of love that you spread around the world. It's something you do because you love doing it. You spend your time on it because it's one of the simplest, easiest ways to get your knowledge out to so many people at once. It's the new media. It transcends TV. It transcends books. It transcends everything because it's instant and it gets the message out there to so many people so quickly.
0: And my job is not to be the presenter of wonderful information. My job is to be the person who brings you on to present the wonderful information that you have worked tirelessly for years to develop and put into this book. And well, work. I'm
1: going to tell you one of the stories of the book there, Kevin, because I think you'll like it. There was an old carpenter, his name was Fred, and he was tired. He had worked in the same job for 40 years. And he had lost his enthusiasm. So he went to his boss and said, boss, I'm sorry, I can't do this anymore. It's my 65th birthday. I'm giving up. I'm going to quit. And I'm going to go into retirement. The boss said, Fred, Fred, you can't do this. You'd be my number one carpenter for all these years. He said, could you do just one more thing for me after all these years? Fred said, of course, boss. I would love to do it for you. I've loved this job. He said, And as my last thing, I'll gladly do it for you. He said, well, just build me one more house. You're my master carpenter. You're the only one that can do it. But Fred's heart wasn't into it. He dragged his ass to work every day. He worked two hours, sometimes three hours a day, not the 20 or 24 hours he used to do when he was younger. And when he got it done, a miracle happened. The house passed inspection. So he went back as boss. He threw his keys on the desk and said, boss, I'm done. He said, just wait, Fred. We're gonna have a party. So he gathered every around. They had champagne, they had caviar, they had cake, they had everything, every goodie that he could possibly want. And he said, Okay, I'm done. He said, just wait, Fred. I've got a little present for you. Gave the keys from that last house to Fred. Said, Fred, live in this house all the days of your life with all the enthusiasm you showed for me for the last 45 years. Well, Kevin. I tell you this because enthusiasm is not a Monday thing. It's not a Friday thing. It's not a Wednesday thing. It's not a Thursday thing. It's something you've got to bring to the table every day because that's what it's all about. It's all about you bringing your best, your best game forward because that's what enthusiasm is all about. It's really about showing everybody what you can do and what you can't do.
0: I wish I'd have said that. That was <laughs> that was significantly artfully done, sir. And I, I I really appreciate that because no, you're right. You have got to be whatever you choose to do, however you choose to spend your time. You have to do it with enthusiasm. If you if I used to be a sales manager, I had twelve guys working for me, and one of the, their jobs was to cold call. And that's when you walk into a a business like in this case, a restaurant because they were selling food, and you walk into the restaurant and you don't know anybody and you're just walking in to present yourself to the ownership saying, "I would love to be able to sell you food." And uh, I I was sitting in a meeting with these twelve, and and one said, "Well." Um, how do you cold call and, and, and how does it work? And I, sometimes I just don't feel confident enough. And I said, well, let me tell you something. If you're not enthusiastic about what you do, there's two things. One is if you're not enthusiastic about what you do, don't do it. And if you can't get enthusiastic about it, I'm going to fire you. So at one point or another, you're going to have to either make a decision to either get enthusiastic about what you're doing or not but you know, don't waste your time. And I, I actually had a couple of guys from that same group that I met later on after I let them go because it just wasn't the right fit. And both of them said, thank you. I hated that job. I only did it because it paid the bills, but I'm so much happier now. I found something that I really like to do.
1: Right, and that's what I think is important with all this, Kevin, is people have to find the enthusiasm. You know, if you're a street cleaner, as uh, Mahatma Gandhi said, you should be the best street cleaner in the world. If you're a person that does things that are menial, you should take joy in doing it. Otherwise, you should find something else to do. You know, those dark days are not something a person needs to live through. You can find something else to do. You can find something to be enthusiastic about. You can find something to be get done. And I'm going to encourage your, your listeners out there, and I'm going to challenge them. I'm going to say to them, you must give back to somebody today. Go to your neighbor, knock on their door, and do something for them you wouldn't regularly do. Maybe they need their fence band, face band, their fence pasted. Maybe they need uh, just a cup of coffee. Maybe you can give them a smile and tell them the bad joke I told you today. Maybe, (laughs) maybe, maybe you could just go and just share with them a little bit of your time and find out where they're at. You know, we all live in cities, we all live next to people. How many times do you really know your neighbor or help your neighbor? How many times do you really do something? You know, we have a tradition in Canada and it's called Tim Hortons coffee shops. And quite often when I go to get a coffee there, Somebody has bought coffee for me that we already had. So it's been something that's really been a joy that way. And just got to tell my assistant that I'll get to her in just a few minutes. There we go. So uh, it's a really wonderful thing. It's a great thing that you can do to help somebody else and do something for them. You know, your food bank in your city today needs food. There are people in your city that are starving today. So why don't you do something, spend a day working in the food bank, uh, helping them put food into packages, or why don't you go and do something to help somebody in such a way that you can help them. I'm going to challenge everybody in the United States to do that. Do you know what that will do for the whole United States and Canada? It'll make it a better place. and That's what I'd like to see at the end of the day is everybody have a better place
0: it is my fervent hope and prayer that we get out of this covet thing and that we can come together as a country because at this point in time we are not and we need to get rid of the hate division and fear in our land and and start understanding that we need to, to work together and we can accomplish anything america has always been able to accomplish anything that we set our mind to with enthusiasm and that's something that that if we we need to return to those days and to help each other. And well, I you
1: know the, the word fear, for example, is something that we should put aside. You know, 95% of the things we fear never do happen. The I word fear stands for false expectations appearing real. So if you're looking at things and looking at everything with fear and with dread, it's going you're going to deal with it in quite a different situation than you will with love
0: and happiness and tenacity and persistence then see and at the same time doc there are people that when they go to their doctor and they say well, you have Lou Gehrig's disease and you've got six months to live you better get your will in order and get everything put together a lot of some people would lay down and say all right I guess that's it I'm gonna die and you just decided not you weren't gonna go there and you were not gonna have
1: but it But you know even if it was true I had six months to live you know how much could I do in six months How much could I do for others in six months? And I think that's what people have to look at here is that if you have six months, you should live every day as if it was your last day in the world and do it to the fullest and do it to the best you can and live it to the best you can, just like it was your last day. So if this was your last day, what would you like to do? You know, I think people have to look at it that way. If it's going to Disneyland, we'll go to Disneyland. If it's to do something else, go to something else. There are a lot of happy places that you could be into and things that you can do.
0: We've been talk to with, talking with Dr. Alan Leica. He is the author of the book.
1: The Secrets to Living a Fantastic Life. And you can get a copy of the book absolutely for free by going to secretsbook.now.site backslash home. Secrets that's book. One right, right there. The right space. down, right in front of you and you can go and get a copy of it, please do. I'd love you to share it with everybody on the planet and give it to your neighbor as well.
0: Doctor, uh, as I always like to do at the end of a show, I want to give you uh, the uh, um, soapbox so that you can tell our audience whatever is in your heart to say.
1: Well, I remember it's not what happens to you. It's what you do with what happens. And I think that's a very important statement. It's not what happens to you. It's what you do with what happens. That was speaking, spoken by Epitetus, a Greek slave, over two thousand years ago. It's not what happens to you; it's what you do with what happens.
0: Again, I wish I'd have said that. That's 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 terrific. Um, and by the way, Doctor, it's it's been a pleasure. Uh, one of these days, I'd love to have the both of you on a podcast at the same time. If we could work, we that. will
1: try and arrange that.
0: That would be awesome. So I'd like to thank uh, Dr. Allen uh, Leica like for being here. And go get his book, which is? Uh, the, the
1: Secrets to Living a
0: Fantastic Life. It's right here. You can 13, get your own copy. The 13 Golden Pearls Within. And it's a, it's a great book. And I implore you to please get it and, and enjoy it. And so, Doctor, it's been great fun having you here. And uh, and hold on while I do this, and then we'll be right back.